Welcome to Friends and Family Day here at The Well. We're so happy that you've joined us. My name is Father Anthony, and I'm so happy to see so many uh, faces that I've never seen before, and I would love it if we could maybe get rid of that buzzing sound. It would make me very happy. <laughs> How about I just... I do like this. No? Didn't get... There we go. Better? No? There we go. Good? All right. In addition to getting ready in the buzzy sound, thank you very much, Mina. What I would also love it is if I would get a chance to see and greet every single one of you who's here for the first time after the service. I know a lot of times I finish up and people kind of go in different directions. I get caught up over here, but uh, I would love it if everyone comes shake my hand. I'd love to shake your hand as well after the service and just tell you that we're happy that you're here. And I'm happy that you're here because we're starting a brand new series today called God's Ethics. And I believe this series it can be an eye-opening series for so many people in so many different ways. And I want to start off the series by telling you a short story, which is a true story that took place in my life probably, I'd say about probably eight, nine years ago, something like that. I was on my way to visit a gentleman who is incarcerated in a prison out in a city called Westover, Maryland. And for those who are familiar with Westover, Maryland, it's about three and a half hours away. It's towards Ocean City. So it's very, very close in that direction. And you know, you go towards Ocean City, are you going to take uh, Beltway to Route 50? And you take 50 all the way down, across the Bay Bridge, you go all the way down. And I'm heading out there to visit this gentleman in prison. I'd gone out there several times. And every time I go, I usually bring someone to, to come with me to, you know, to drive, because usually we go early in the morning, and uh, I take a nap sometimes in the car, okay? So I, I'm with my driver, okay? And I tell him that you drive, I'm going to sit over here, and there's a good chance that I fall asleep. Because that's just how what I do when I'm in the car and someone else is driving, I fall asleep. But I was very careful to tell him exactly how to get there, to give him directions. This is back in the day before GPS has ruled the world. This is back in the day when we had something called maps, or when you were really sophisticated, you had MapQuest. Uh, you remember MapQuest? Unnamed road, unnamed road, unnamed road. Remember that? Okay, 0.1 miles, unnamed road. So I told him exactly. It was very simple directions. It was Beltway to Route 50 and go 50 all the way down. You drive on 50 for like three hours. I told him exactly how many miles. I said, once you get to 100 miles, you look for a road called this. And the prison was right off of Route 50. Very simple, straightforward, three lines on the directions. But I said, be careful. There's only one tricky part, which is if you're familiar with it, the 301-50 kind of exchange. So if you're not familiar with it, you're on 50. And then another road comes in, which is 301. And they're the same for probably 30, 40, 50 miles. And then they split off. All right? And that's the only thing you got to pay attention to. And it's kind of tricky because if you, if you know it, you're supposed to stay on 50, but 50 looks like the exiting road when they split. Like 301 goes straight, and 50 has two lanes to the right, 301, two lanes to the left. Anyway, don't worry about it. Bottom line is, I went to sleep, gave him the directions, said, very simple, and we should be there. Like I said, it's about a three-hour trip, three-and-a-half-hour trip, all in all. I slept. 15, uh, probably 30 minutes, 45 minutes, something like that. And I woke up. My driver was happy as a clam, okay? The sun was shining. He had the radio up. He's jamming to the tunes, like singing out loud because he thought I was knocked out. So he's singing as happy as can be. And I kind of woke up, and he was kind of embarrassed for a little bit. I said, no, rock on, man. You know what I mean? The weather's nice. We got a long drive. You're just going to sit in the car for me. Like, enjoy your time. Like, don't worry about it. And we're sitting there driving and laughing, having a good time. And I'm like, man, something, this doesn't look familiar. But, you know, I only go every like six months, eight months, something like that. So you don't really know. Like a lot can change in six months. And I was asleep for a while. So these don't look like what I'm used to seeing. Anyway, you keep on going, keep on going. Eventually, we had to stop and get gas. And at this point in time, I'm really convinced that something doesn't look right here. But I don't want to call him out because the directions are pretty simple. Stay on the same road. So, I mean, like, I didn't want to embarrass the guy and say, are you sure we're on the same road? Because it would be an embarrassing kind of a thing. So I asked the, the gas attendant, someone at the gas station. We were, this time, we had driven for close to three hours. So we should be about a half hour away. So I said, how close are we to Westover, Maryland? He said, Westover, Maryland? He's, he said, I never heard of Westover, Maryland. And I'm like... I'm like, okay, you know, out in that rural area, you know, you, you figure, you know what I mean? You never know what you're getting with the gas station attendants. So you, you kind of move on. You say, hey, we just still drive further. So we drive a little bit further. And now, like, we should be there in, like, 15, 20 minutes. How do you mean you never heard of what? Like, how could that be? 
We stop at another gas station. I ask again. I said, do you know where Westover is? How far are we from Westover? He's like, Westover? I'm like, you don't know Westover? He's like, what? what's Westover? I'm like, you're saying that we're not near Westover, Maryland? He's like, Maryland? He said, you're in Delaware, son. And out there, they call even the priest son. Okay, they call him all son there. And lo and behold, my beautiful driver, my lovely driver, when I fell asleep, missed the 5301 exchange, and we had driven about an hour in the wrong direction on 301, kind of going north, but we needed to go southeast. What happened? What happened to me on this trip? What happened to me on this trip is me and my companion were on the right road. Were we on the right road? We were on the right road. We were 100% on the right road. And we were in the right direction. Everything was right. But then somewhere along the way, we got distracted. We missed something. Somewhere along the way, not that there weren't signs, because surely there were signs. There had to have been sign after sign after sign after sign. But our problem was, we were pretty sure we were on the right road. We didn't think to ask for a long time. We got distracted. The radio was playing. The sun was shining. Life was a beautiful day. I'm asleep in peace, fully rested and fully assured that I'm on the right road. Why should I be worried? Why should I be stressed out? It never occurred to us that while we were on that road, while we were singing, while we were dancing, while we were laughing, while we were sleeping in peace, while everything was perfect as far as we were concerned, every single second we were getting further and further from our destination, and we were in for quite a surprise when that three-hour trip ended up taking a lot closer to six hours because by the time we had the hour. Test. Here at a little lower, sorry. Here we go. Here at STSA, we know that it's okay if you're not perfect in everything. All right, we roll with the punches around here. All right, between this mic and this mic, we should be okay. Back to my story. All right, don't worry about the technology right here. I was on a trip and I thought I was on the right road, and lo and behold, I found myself with a big surprise at the very end of that trip. That's not the only road which will end with some surprises for the people who are on it. Our Lord Jesus Christ said this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. He said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Thank you, Mina. I appreciate it. Give this guy a big hand. He's working really hard up here. All right. Is that good? Good? Y'all can hear me? Okay. Good. This verse, what do you think of this verse? You hear this verse, what do you feel? If you don't get scared by this verse, then you're not reading it properly. This is the scariest verse in all the Bible. Do you know what this verse says? Let me tell you what this verse does not say. I would be okay if this verse said, um, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, okay, that's fine. I'm okay with that. And then it said to me, few people will say to me in that day, or a handful of people, or some people. What does it say? It says, many people will say to me in that day. Translation of this verse in modern language says, not all people who say to me, how close are we to Westover? will even be in Maryland at all. They might find out they're in a completely different state. Nothing against Delaware. Okay. <laughs> but there might be some surprises on that road. And I am not saying this to scare anybody. I am not saying this to scare you or make you afraid. I'm saying this because it's the truth. All right. I'm telling you this because it's what our Lord Jesus Christ taught us. That in that day there will be surprises. That many people who are on the road of life and thinking everything is fine on the road. Everything is fine. The sun is shining. We're singing the songs. Uh, we're laughing. We, we got uh, the cross around our neck. 
We are going to church and from church. We got the fish sticker on the back. We got like the witness wear t-shirt, like whatever it may be. Many people who do all those things will find themselves with a surprise at the end of the road. So I want you to think of this series as a stop at the gas station. That's where these next four weeks are going to be together. It's a stop at the gas station. Because when you're on the road of life, look, I was on that three-hour trip. We went an hour in the wrong direction. Hour back ended up total costing us two hours. I wasted two hours of my life. Look, I'm okay wasting. I was frustrated wasting those two hours, but I'm okay in the end. I would much rather waste two hours than waste 50 years, 60 years, 70 years of my life, and then get to the end and stop and ask directions. Someone says, Maryland? That's why what we're going to do during this series, what we are going to do is we're going to pull over. We're going to stop the car. We're going to stop flying. We're going to pull over to the side of the road. We're going to check the map. We're going to ask the gas station guy, say, excuse me, sir. Is this the right road that leads to so-and-so? And if he tells us, man, you're on the wrong road, we say, oh, i got to turn around. Because while it's true, it is never too late to turn around. It is never too late. It is much less painful the quicker you realize it. Like I waited an hour to turn around. I wish I had checked after a half hour. I wish I had followed my gut after 25 minutes. The quicker you turn, again, there's never a time where it's too late. And even, even on your deathbed, you turn around. I'm not saying it like that. But what I'm saying is the longer you've been driving on the wrong road, the more difficult and painful that it is going to be once you decide that you want to turn that car around. I read a nice quote in a book the other day. It said this. It said, if a person is wrong about being right with God, then ultimately it doesn't matter what he, else he's right about. I'll say that again. If a person is wrong about being right with God, then ultimately it doesn't matter what else he may be right about. Because if you're wrong about being right with God, Nothing else matters. Let me tell you how the Bible says it. The Bible paints a picture like this. It says in life there are two roads. We can call them 15301, all right, or you can think about it however you want. But in the end, there are two roads. One road leads to life. One road leads to death. Those are the only two options. We like to think of many, 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 many roads. And that's fine that you can think about it, but that's not what's coming from the Bible. What's coming from the Bible as taught to us by our Lord Jesus Christ is they are simply two roads. And like those roads, 50 and 301, they look the same at the beginning, but the end result of them is completely different. Here's our theme verse for this series coming from Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. There are few who find it. You got two roads in life. One leads to life, one leads to death. All right, you call it death, call it destruction, call it whatever you want. The end result is not a good place. They're at the beginning, these two roads, they look alike. They look alike, just like on 15301. They look, you could see them as, what's the big deal between those two roads? But the longer you continue on these roads, the more you'll see that these two roads diverge, all right, and their end is nowhere near. Jesus says in these, in these two verses, what's the difference between road A and road B? Number one, we see the difference. The end result of them is different. One is destruction. One is life. Second thing we see about it is the path while you are walking. One is easy and one is difficult. And therefore, because the path is easy and difficult, the number of people, number three, the number of people on there is also different. One has few, one has many on it. Listen to me very clearly on this one. I, I want to say this and I want to repeat this throughout. What I'm not talking about today I'm not talking about church people or non-church people. I'm not talking about Orthodox people or Baptist people or Catholic people or any kind of people. I'm talking about in every circle of life, in any group, inside church and outside church. You find people inside church on, on road to life, you find people on the road to death. Sorry, that's a fact. Outside church, same thing. You find people on this road, that road. In the Baptist church, in the Catholic church, in the Orthodox church. And it and, and, and doesn't matter which church. I'm not talking about a church. I'm not talking about a denomination. I'm not talking about a, 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 um, an activity that we do. I'm talking about a decision to live a life on the path of life. To live as a child of God. And to say, he is my father and I will walk according to his statutes. The Bible says it this way. Deuteronomy chapter 30 Verse 15 and 19. We'll go Old Testament. I already showed you New Testament. Talks about the two lives. I'll show you Old Testament. Then I'll also show you early church as well. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Moses said this to the people before they entered the promised land. 
He said, see, I have set before you today life and good. That's one road. That's Route 50. And I've set before you death and evil. That's 301. And that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes, his judgments, that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and you are drawn away, and you worship other gods and serve them, meaning that you walk on this road. I gave you one road to worship God, and I tell you, you walk on this road, you will be blessed in all that you do. But if you turn away and you choose to walk this road and worship other gods and disobey God, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, but I have set before you life and death. Blessing and cursing, therefore choose life, that both you and your descendants may live. From the very beginning of God's relationship with his people, go back to the very beginning with Abraham and continue on forward through Moses and continue through David, all throughout the beginning, God said, if you are my child, you are different than everybody else. You don't eat the way they eat, okay? Not in a judgmental way, and I'll explain why, but you don't worship the way they worship. They eat anything, they worship anything, you don't do that. You don't treat each other the way they do when someone steals from them. You don't treat them the same when someone steals from you. You treat your spouse differently than they treat their spouse. You treat your children differently than they treat their children. Again, not in a judgmental way, but in a way of, as a child of God, you're different. There's a book called the Didache, which maybe you've never heard of. The book called the Didache is one of the earliest writings of Christianity. It predates even most of the New Testament. It was written as soon as the Lord Jesus Christ ascended up to heaven and the disciples and apostles began spreading around. They documented, like a lot of their, the official name is the, the Lord's teaching to the nations through the 12 apostles or something like that. I think it's on your hand up. And in this, in this book, the Didache, which is like 15 chapters, 16 chapters, something like that, the very first verse, chapter one, verse one says this, says it as bluntly and as plainly as possible. It says there are two ways, one of life, and one of death, and a great difference between those two ways. You know the term Christian. Where did the term Christian come from? We today, we're proud to say we are Christians. Where did the term Christian come from? The term Christian didn't come from Christians. The term Christian came from non-Christians. And there was a group of people over there, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then a group of people over here who said, those people, they're different. Something's not right about them. They're funny. We threaten them, and we tell them, if you don't worship our God, we're going to kill you. And they smile. Funny people. We tell these people, we stole from them, and they don't come and try to kill us. They forgive us. Funny people. Those Christ followers, those Christians. That's where the term Christian came from. It was a negative term used by the society to say, you people are different. There's something about you guys that's not the same. We're on a certain road. You guys are on a different road. And the roads at the beginning look like they're not that different. But the more and more you walk on these roads, the more you realize one leads to life, one leads to death, and there's a great difference between those two. Today, that's not the case. Agree? Today, and, I, and I, like I said, I said this before, I can make a case in a positive way as well as a negative way. But we're going to speak about the negative, but I could say positive, but just negative now. Today, the lines are blurred, aren't they? Because everyone is kind of sort of Christian. But then no one is really very much more Christian than anybody else. And it's just kind of like Christian. Everyone has a cross. And you know what that means. I told you one time I walked into a, a Kinko's and some 16-year-old punk kid. You know what I mean? Cool cross, man. Where can I get one? <laughs> because it's just like, yeah, cross and Christian music. But then the behavior... <laughs> And the lines are fuzzy. And what used to be two clear, distinct roads has kind of meshed together. It used to be that you walk into a certain movie. And this movie, all the Christians would never watch this kind of movie. These kind of TV shows, Christians would never watch. And I don't mean it in a judgmental way. And I'll get to that in a little bit. But just hold that thought. If you think I'm being judgmental, I'm not being in a judgmental. But Christians wouldn't treat each other in this way. 
wouldn't use these kind of language with each other. It used to be that being a Christian meant something. Because in the early church, in this era, when you said, I want to be a Christian, what you're saying is, I'm ready to give up my life. Because Christianity was a persecuted religion. And someone in the first century said, I want to be a Christian, was ready to give up his life on the moment. Now, things are slightly different. I'll give you another example, and nobody feel judged. I'm not judging anybody in particular, okay? And I'm not judging, don't feel judged by what I'm about to say. I'm just using it as an example, okay, to prove the point, to illustrate the point of how times have changed. In the Orthodox wedding ceremony, in the Orthodox wedding ceremony, the very beginning of the ceremony, the priest declares the ceremony. And what he says, what the priest says today he says, today, um, uh, in the name of uh, the founder of Love's Creation, we declare the wedding of, I'll use Paul Manal right in front of me, the blessed Orthodox son Paul to the blessed Orthodox daughter Manal. The blessed son to the blessed daughter. That's what we would say. And all of us, when we got married, that's what was said. But you know, if you go back to the original rite, the original, uh, uh, before it was translated into English, that's actually not what it says. You know what it says? It says, we declare the wedding of the blessed virgin, Paul, to the blessed virgin, Manal. And did you know that in the early church, you'll find many writings that speak about the virgin this and the virgin that. The word virgin in the, in, in the early church meant the young adult ministry. That's what it meant. Because there was no, and again, don't, I'm not saying this in a bad way. I'm just showing you how society has changed. That today, if I say, hey, guys, why don't we say this during the wedding ceremony? Everyone would say, hold your horses there. Because simply, times, they have changed. The lines, they have blurred. And now we make it easier. And we say, and I'm not judging. Believe me, I promise you, I'm not judging. I'm just showing you how things have changed. Back in the church, when the first church, church first started, used the word virgin as, as an honor. As an honor. And they say the virgins would sit over here. And the virgins would do this. Today? Now, I know, I know, I know that you are judging me for being judgmental. Which is ironic. <laughs> but you can be honest and say it. You're thinking it. Father Anthony, hold your horses, man. Like, we're all about grace around here. And we're all about second chances. And none is pure from blemish, even though his life on earth is a single day. And why are you being so, I'll use the L word now, so legalistic? Am I being legalistic? Here's the most important thing that I want to say here today. I'm not talking about actions. I'm talking about a mindset. And that is the biggest difference. And I will show you right now that actually what I'm saying is not legalistic, but you who are judging me as legalistic are being legalistic. And I'll show you why. Because I'm not speaking about actions. I'm speaking about a mindset. I'm not saying that we have lost our way with this behavior. We need to stop this behavior. I'm not saying that at all. I don't care about your behavior. I care about your mindset. And I'm saying we have lost the mindset of true Christianity. What do we have today? We have ethics. And the modern ethics. You hear ethics all the time. Viewing sin in terms of ethics is incorrect. What does ethics mean? Ethics means a line. I'll use the middle of the stage right here. A line. And on this side of the line is good. On this side of the line is bad. And anyone, it doesn't matter where you are. Which side I say is good? Let's say this is the good side. It doesn't matter where you are here. As long as you don't cross this line, you are ethically okay. Take this step and you are ethically wrong. And then from here, it doesn't matter where you go. Because it's ethics. Ethics is based on behavior. Ethics, agree with me or not, is extremely subjective. Someone would say, like we would all agree on certain things ethically. Murder, wrong. We'd say, um, punching your neighbor in the face, wrong. Um, getting drunk, wrong. But then the problem is, if you go with the ethics approach, where's the line? Like, is one drink okay? We don't want to be legalistic. So one drink is okay. Two drinks? 
Again, we don't want to be like the Pharisees, so two drinks okay. But ten drinks is wrong. What's the difference between you and the Pharisees now? Have you made a difference between two? Look, who draws the line? Do I draw the line? Do you draw the line? Do our parents? Do their parents? Oprah? Dr. Phil? Look, who draws the line? Because everyone has a different line. Ethics are completely subjective. It's complete, and if you go around the world today, you go to every one of these universities around, and you can take an ethics class, and every professor will tell you something completely different. Because it's based on his idea of, what, of where the line is. And some people say, this uh, sex before marriage is wrong. But as long as you don't cross that line, it's okay. So this is okay. Well, what about living together? What about all these other act extracurricular activities that people do? Like, where's the line? Lying. Lying is wrong. What about a white lie? Okay. What about a lie that doesn't hurt anybody? Okay. What about a lie when your wife asks if she looks thinner? Okay. <laughs> the world today of ethics is all relative is completely changing, ever-changing. It is based on the idea of actions being good and bad and a line to avoid. That is not Christianity at all. Ethics is not Christianity at all. So what's Christianity? Christianity asks a different question. Christianity asks this. It says, what if sin is not a line at all? What if there is no line? What if we looked at sin instead as a slope? What if instead of saying good and bad, right and wrong, left and right, what if we looked at it as a mountain to climb? And our goal in life is to climb the top of that mountain. And sin is a step in the wrong direction. Whether you are here on the mountain or there on the mountain, wherever you are on the mountain, sin is a step away from the goal, and the goal is Christ, to be Christ, to think like, to have the mind of Christ, the mouth of Christ, to, to have the eyes of Christ, to judge the way Christ judges, to forgive the way Christ forgives. That's the picture of the goal. That's the goal. And sin is a slope. And now it's not a matter of, did I go on this side or am I on this side? Am I clean or not clean? Any step away from that goal is a step, or not just a slope, but a slippery slope. So now we're not talking about good and bad. We're talking about death and life. Because if I'm climbing up a mountain, and I start to go down the wrong direction, and it's a slippery slope. If you look in the early church, this is the way they spoke about sin. As you take the wrong step, and what happens? You step on the wrong step in that slippery slope. You crash to the bottom of that mountain and die. That's what sin is. Sin is not a line that's good and bad. That's the opposite of everything Jesus taught. If sin was a line, the Pharisees were on the right side and the Samaritan woman was on the wrong side. But you know why Jesus loved the Samaritan woman? Because she was climbing the mountain. And the Pharisees, you know why he hated their guts? Not really hated their guts, but you know what I'm trying to say? Because they weren't trying to climb. And they were easy taking steps this way. And they were very casual. And he said, y'all, if you don't pay attention, you're going to hit the wrong step and you're going to slip and slide down to the very bottom of that mountain and die. There's only two paths in life. There's only an escalator going up an escalator going down. Those are the only two. And anyone who is not challenging and pursuing up is on that wrong road. You know what our problem is? Can I go a little editorial here? And I'm, and I'm just so you know, I'm about as American as American can be. Born in America, raised in America. Like I, live my, I, I, I don't like to go anywhere outside of America. I love the red, white, and blue. But let me tell you something wrong with our American mentality and our American mindset. Sin should be, what we have right here, is a slope. And any step in the wrong direction is bad, and we should be climbing. But you know what we did in an American mindset? We took it to our spirituality. And we said, who says that we have to go this way and not this way? And why? And we do, what is the bare minimum that I can go without falling down the mountain? That's what we did. That's what we do with everything. What is the bare minimum that I can do? So if I do this, look, I didn't die. And what's the big deal, Father Anthony, about doing this? So many people are doing this. What's the big deal? And then we say, okay, what's the big deal about this? And we became a rights-based spirituality. No, I have the right to do this. I have the right to say this. I have the right to tell this person this. It doesn't make me a bad person. I'm still doing, 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 doing all these good things. I have the right to do this. We've taken salvation 
which I've told you, if y'all, if y'all been attending here before, you've told me tell you this. The most misused and misunderstood word in all of Christianity is the word salvation. Salvation means being like Christ, image of Christ. That's salvation. And until we have attained that, like that's what we're climbing towards. You know what we've taken it as? Salvation. And we said, look, I crossed this line. I got a ticket that says, you know, reserve a room for me in heaven. I have a ticket, so I'm good. And we say, no, we're climbing. You said, no, 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 climbing what? I got the ticket. What's the big deal? As long as I got this ticket, I'm in good shape. That's not salvation. Salvation is not like a, a reservation. Like you made a reservation in, in heaven one day. Salvation is climbing the mountain. Salvation is being healed of the sickness of sin that's inside all of us. Yes, anyone is welcome. No matter where you are, anyone is welcome. But the pursuit of, of, of salvation is a lifelong pursuit to be molded in the image of Christ. It's not, I, 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 I get it, I, I win a ticket, and all of a sudden, I, I'm good, and that's it. Another analogy that the early church gives, instead of the slope, is an ember. Y'all know what an ember is? Like when I have a fire, charcoals or, or wood, like the little flaming embers, okay, little pieces of fire that they're not a huge flame, but they're a little piece of fire. You know, if I take a little piece, of, if I take a charcoal, like a, um, a barbecue, and I get the charcoal, and I get little embers from it, and I put that little ember up here on stage, what's going to happen? It's going to burn the whole thing down. I don't need to set the whole thing on fire to burn it down. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 27. Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? Logic. Sin is like an ember. It's like a coal of fire. I don't care how small it is. If you are holding on to an ember, you're going to get burned. So you see, now I'm not talking about a ticket or not a ticket. I'm not talking about right and wrong. I'm talking about life and death. I'm talking about being burned by this ember or dropping the ember and saying, nothing's going to light me on fire. That's the mentality that the early church had. That sin. That's why what we're going to do in this series is we're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount. And how Jesus spoke in the Sermon on the Mount. And how in there, the people said, hey, as long as you don't... Uh, Sleep with another man's wife, eh, it's not a big deal. Jesus said, no. He said, if you look lustfully, you committed adultery. Because that look is like a little ember. And yes, it's not a flaming furnace. But you put that little ember inside your bosom, and you don't think you're going to get burned? You're going to put a, a piece of hot coal in your pocket and say, whew, thank God I don't have the whole fire. You're going to put a piece of hot coal in your pocket and expect not to get burned? See the mentality? You see what I'm saying? It's not actions. I don't care about your actions. No one in this room can judge anyone else's actions. No one, only God can judge us. I'm not judging anyone's actions. I'm judging our mindset. And I'm saying we need to return to a proper Christian mindset towards sin. And that is sin, any sin is a step in the wrong direction. It's a slippery slope, slippery slope, and it is a hot ember that I do not want to touch. The world says ethics. What does God say? God says, the title of our talk today, world says ethics, God says obedience. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus said it this way. He said, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Look, you look at this and you say, come on, man. What do you mean be perfect? How am I going to be perfect? I'm not being perfect. And Jesus is not saying that you can never, ever, ever make a mistake. That would go against everything else that he said. What Jesus is saying is, man, you are striving for perfection. You are climbing the mountain. You're not saying my goal is to get halfway up the mountain and then take a break. You're not saying my goal is just to get both feet on the mountain and then I'm fine. My goal is not just to be better than that guy because everyone knows that that guy is in trouble. So as long as I'm away from that guy, Jesus doesn't do it that way. He says, you keep your eyes on me. And you see how I look? You don't stop climbing the mountain until you look like me. You see how I think about sinners? You see how I think about your coworkers? See how I think about your mother-in-law? Man, you don't stop climbing the mountain until you see it in the same way I do. Why? Why? Why does Jesus tell us that? Knowing full well that all will sin and that all fall short of the glory of God. Why would Jesus tell us, why would he set such a high bar for us? Simple. Because obedience is the condition for the way of life. Obedience is the condition for the way of life. I don't like to think about God's commandments, I'm putting them in quotes, 
as commandments. Don't look at them as commandments. They are commandments, but they're more than commandments. They are conditions to an end. They are conditions to a path. God is not saying, if you don't do this, then I'm going to be upset at you. He's saying, if you don't do this, you are not going to be on this road. Simply like me saying to my driver friend, when this road turns, you need to go to the right. He says, no. Who tells me go to the right? I have freedom to go to the left. Look here, man. I can tell you left or right. If you're not going to go on the right road, you're not going to end up in Westover, Maryland. Say, no, that's very judgmental of you. It's not judgmental. It's right. The MapQuest agrees. The, the, the gas station guy agrees. If you are not on 50, you are not going to be in 301. And that's the, way the, that's the way the commandments are. When Jesus tells us not to get angry, when Jesus tells us to forgive, when Jesus tells us not to, not to be dishonest, when Jesus tells us things, it's not because he didn't tell us like that. Shame on you, bad boy. He tells us saying, there's a road right here. And when you walk away from these things, you go on the wrong road. I'll give you another example. Easy example. Science. Gravity. Gravity says that if I jump off this stage, I'd be okay. If I jump off a 12-story building, I probably won't be okay. That's what gravity says. No, that's judgmental of gravity. There's discrimination. How can gravity tell me that? No, I don't, I don't believe in gravity, so therefore, it doesn't exist for me. Whether you believe in it or don't believe in it, you jump off a 12-story bridge, you're going to die. 12-story building. Because that's the law of life. That's the condition to life. It's you don't jump off 12-story buildings. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4. If you want to take away a verse uh, to summarize the Christian mindset towards sin, how the proper view towards sin, how we have been defiled, our mindset is wrong. This is the right way. Hebrews 12, 4. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Notice, it doesn't speak in this verse about the results. I would say this to a person who is living in adultery, a person who's a monk in a monastery, and anybody in between. I say this to Mother Teresa, to Saddam Hussein, or, or Hitler, or any of those guys, and anybody in between. It's the same mindset. It's not saying you have to reach a certain point, then you're okay. But once you get here, it's not saying that. It's a mindset. It says you resist sin to what point? To what point do you resist sin? I need everyone to say this. You resist sin to what point? You resist to bloodshed. That's not how we view sin. That's not how we view sin. And this is why, well, this is why Jesus says that many people will say to me in that day, many people, why? Not because of our actions. Don't anybody think I'm talking about actions. If you think I'm talking about actions, you misheard everything that I said. I'm talking about a mindset. Having the mindset of Christianity, which is that sin is deadly. Recently, we've been talking about the story of Ezra. For those who have been here for the past several weeks, we're talking about how Ezra was in charge, not in charge, but with a group of people of Israelites in a foreign land. And that while they were in that foreign land, God called them to go back and rebuild the temple of God. And they did that. While they were in that foreign land, they were there, like I told you, 60, 70, 80 years, something like that. And clearly, if that's the case, they adopted many of the customs and rituals of the land they lived in. They were the people of God. Even when they were living in Israel, they were messing up God's law. But then especially when they moved to Babylon, they really lost a lot of, of God's way. And they got mixed in with the ways of the society, which is understandable. They go back here and they rebuild the temple. We talked about that the past several weeks. I'm not talking about that anymore. After they rebuild the temple, something happens in Ezra chapter 9. We'll pick up the story there. Ezra chapter 9, they rebuilt the temple. They're about to celebrate. When these things were done, the leaders came to me, Ezra, saying, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the land with respect to the abominations of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. Saying basically, our people became, they melted in with the culture around them. And now, yes, we came back to Jerusalem, but a lot of Babylon came with us. The Hittites, the Canaanites, a lot of that culture came with us. And this, could, this is a problem. And actually, sorry, go back and see which group of people it was. 
who had mixed in with the people, not just the people, the priests, the holy ones, the best of the best, as well as the leaders uh, and the Levites, okay? For they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves, meaning taking daughters and sons from the bad guys and mixed and taking daughters as wives for themselves and their sons so that the holy seed is mixed with the peoples of those lands. Indeed, the hand of the leaders and rulers has been foremost in this trespass. The leaders are the ones who are making this trespass that they started to marry from outside of God's people. Is that a big deal? Is that a big deal? Come on, man. Love. One love. Uh, diversity. Uh, melting pot. Like mission. Mission, evangelism. What's the big deal? That they started to mix with people from outside of God's people. Is it a big deal? Well, look, you and I can discuss whether it's a big deal or not a big deal. Or we can see what God says. It is a big deal because God says earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1, when the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess... Okay, and he starts telling them, when you go to that land, do this, do this, do this, do this. And then he says, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. Is it a big deal to marry from the culture around them? To bring some of those pagan practices in? Is it a big deal? By ethics, is it a big deal? No. When in Rome... But by obedience, is it a big deal? Yeah. We ain't ethics. We're obedience. And whether I think it's right or you think it's right. And by the way, that has no relation to marriage today. I'm not talking about just marrying people. from. Uh, there's no relation to that. I'm just, it's, it's different. Whether I think it's right or you think it's right, it doesn't make a difference. When God says it, that's it. Ezra responds to this. How does Ezra respond? Me and you, how would we respond? Ah, not a big deal. Okay, okay, like, we'll figure it out later. Like, yeah, too late. It's too late. That's what we'd say. That's what I'd say. I'd say, you know what? If you'd have asked me before he married her, I'd have told her that was a bad choice. But he didn't ask me. Too late. It's, uh, we've already mixed in. How does Ezra respond? Verse 3. So when I heard this thing, I tore my garment and my robe, and I plucked out some of the hair of my head and beard. Read that sentence again. I tore my garment and my robe, and I plucked out some of the hair. Not plucked out like tweezers, like. <laughs> and I sat down astonished. Then everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel assembled to me because of the transgression of those who had been carried away captive, and I sat astonished till the evening sacrifice. I come to you. I, you come to me. I'm the priest. You come to me. Say, Father Anthony, some people in our church, man, they started disobeying God's law. And then I respond by <laughs> pulling out my beard, weeping, and just sitting there. None of us would respond that way. See how our mentality has changed? We have the mentality that obedience, yeah, do your best. But did they do this? Oh, my goodness, did they go to that line? No? Okay. Okay, then we'll, we'll, we'll try to work it into the sermon schedule next week. Ezra? tore his robe, tore his beard, tore his head, tore everything. And he sat down astonished. In verse 5, At the evening sacrifice, I arose from my fasting, and having torn my garment and my robe, I fell on my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God. And I said, Oh my God, I am too ashamed and humiliated to lift my face to you, my God. For our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has grown up to heavens. And I put dot, dot, dot there. That prayer goes on from the 10 verses. And you, could read, you read the rest of it. Ezra chapter 9, it's the rest of the chapter, and he goes on to beg God for forgiveness. And then what happens next? As a result of Ezra's prayer, man of God tore his clothes, tore his beard, tore his head, and he prayed to God. Chapter 10, now while Ezra was praying, and while he was confessing, weeping, and bowing down before the house of God, a very large assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him from Israel, for the people wept very bitterly. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, one of the sons of Elam, spoke up and said to Ezra, We have trespassed against our God and have taken pagan wives from the peoples of the land. Yet now there is hope in Israel in spite of this. The people came to him. Ezra didn't say anything to the people. He didn't say, You, get rid of that wife. You, 
Why'd you choose her? You, he didn't say it like that. He just prayed and said, God, we have sinned. And as soon as he finished praying, the people came to him and said, Ezra, we have sinned. And then he goes on. The, the, the gentleman says, now, therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and those who have been born to them, according to the advice of my master and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God, saying, we are taking advice from the people on this road. We're stopping at the gas station. You guys are people who tremble at the word of God. We're asking you. We disobeyed. What do we do now? That's what they're saying. Who tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. Arise, for this matter is your responsibility. We also are with you. Be of courage and do it. What is this series all about? It's about this. This series is all about coming to this moment. Coming to a moment where we are pulling, we said we pull over the car. We stop on the side of the road. And we say, hey, wait a minute. Where are we? What are we doing here? Have I become too much like the world? Have I, are there any nuts and bolts that need to be tightened? Because yes, I'm, 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 I'm a good person. I, I go to church. I, 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 don't, uh, I help the lady across the street. I throw a nickel in the church bucket whenever the, the collection plate comes around. I'm a good person. But that's not the criteria. Am I on the path of life? Everyone needs to ask themselves this. If you choose not to ask yourself this question, you got a lot more guts than me. Guts are stupidity. You choose however you want to call it. You got a lot more guts than me. We're going to do like Ezra did. Ezra, in this passage here, they're about to move into the temple. They rebuilt the temple. They're about to move in, about to start a new phase in their relationship with God. And Ezra said, hey, wait a minute. We can't move into that temple and build a nice outside temple. We need to build an inside temple first. We're doing that same thing here. We're building the inside. We say, God, and you know, if you've been around here for the past several weeks, I won't bore you all again. God is doing great things here in this church. God is doing big things in this church. We're about to go. We say, wait a minute. Who cares if we have a big building? Who cares? Does anybody care if the inside is rotten? Who cares if we have fancy schmancy and we got coffee and we got uh, refreshments and we shake each other's hand and we laugh and we hear great sermons. Who cares? Who cares? If the inside is not people who's on the path to life. Like that's what it's about. It's the path that leads to life. Quote from a man named John Chrysostom who was a saint and a father in the church back in the 4th and 5th century. There's no one quickly and at once reaches out into vice. The devil gently and little by little leads him onto it until he comes to the very pit of destruction and casts himself in. You know what that is? That's the slippery slope. No one jumps, no one off the top, swan dives off the top of the cliff. You know what it is? The people end up at the bottom, it's just one little step and one little step. And, one li and then you hit that one step and you lose your footing We can't let this be us. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask for the assistance. Yes, please. Now would be the appropriate time. We have some people. We're going to pass around some little cards like, just, just like this. You're going to get one of these things. Take one and pass it down. And let's go as quickly as we can. Okay? Take those things. Pass down just like we're in third grade. Take one and pass. Take, take, pass. Because you agree with me. If all we're going to do is talk, 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 what's the benefit? I'm doing like Ezra. I'm saying to you, this is God's law. And this is what God is calling us to. And then I'm asking you to put your money where your mouth is and make a commitment. This little card is coming around. You can read it. It says, I blank. You know, by the way, don't fill this in now. Don't write. No, I'll explain why we're doing this. It says, I, and then it has a blank. You write your name in that blank. I desire to walk in the path of life. Therefore, I will strive. Note keyword strive. Strive. Not accomplish. I will strive to live in obedience to all God's commands. You can take this card home with you. I will encourage you to put this on your refrigerator, on your desk. I don't care where you put it. Put it somewhere to remind yourself. And what you're going to do is you're going to come back to church next week and for the next four weeks. And we are going to look, like I said, at the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, 
We're going to look at four areas where we have uh, slightly loosened things up a little bit. And we need to tighten some of those bolts. And we're going to look, it's exactly like I said, is that we said, yeah, as long as I'm not committing adultery, what's the big deal? And Jesus said, well, actually, no. He said, anyone who actually thinks, Jesus raises the bar. And what you're going to do is you're going to listen, and you're going to listen, and you're going to listen, and you're going to think, and you're going to pray. And at the end of those four weeks, you're going to make a decision. And I'm going to tell you, like, I, like Moses told, or like, yeah, Moses told the people, I've set before you this day two paths, life and death. Choose life. And you're going to make a decision, and you're going to keep this in front of you. This is not for me. I don't care about this. I care about this for me. And you care about this for you. In the end, what happened when Ezra and the people, and they heard the commandment, Ezra then spoke to all the people. When the, the leader came to him and said, we have sinned. We've done all this mistake. We need help. Ezra then came and read the law to all the people. And what did the people do? Ezra chapter 10, verse 12. Can we read this verse together? Let's read this together. It says, Then all the assembly answered and said with a loud voice, Yes, as you have said, so we must do again. I'm saying you are the assembly. When the priest spoke, then the people said with a loud voice, This is my prayer for us, okay? I, I promise you in front of God, I don't care what you do as far as your actions. It's not about actions. It's not about looking good in front of one another. It's not about any of that stuff. It's about a mindset. And that mindset is, I need to live on this path of life. And the path of life, just like if I want to live on earth, I must abide by gravity. If I want to live on the path of life, I must abide by the commandments of the most holy God. And we're going to see those commandments, and then we're going to say this, yes, as you have said, so we must do. Let's stand together for a prayer, please. <clears throat> In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you this day for laying out for us the path of life. And we thank you that you give us a chance to walk this path. We know we're not worthy to walk on it, and all the mistakes we made, Lord, is not, is, is not, we're not worthy to, to even see the path of life. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us a chance to walk on that path. Make us strong, Lord. Give us courage to walk on that road, to lay aside the sin which so easily ensnares us, and to change the way we view sin, the way we view the things in this world. Give us a mind like you had. Give us a mind where you avoided sin and you kept yourself pure from sin because you knew that sin led to death. Give us that same mindset, Lord, and let us to live that, that, that true Christian life. We pray all these things in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, with the prayers of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. But deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you all very much. Have a great week.